This is the show that pulls back the industry curtain. We're exploring pop culture, music icons, and food gods. It's the Jeremiah Show with Dr. D. Broadcasting from the HJL Hospitality and Evolved Studios in LA, Santa Barbara, AM 1290, KZSB, and FM 96.9, Santa Barbara, or somewhere from the road. He's opened and fixed more than 200 restaurants, bars, nightclubs, hotels, and neighborhood joints around the globe. He's an industry driver, an author, and a columnist. He's a restaurateur with legendary rock star Mick Fleetwood on Fleetwood's On Front Street in Lahaina, Maui. And he's your radio host. And now, back from a race around the sun, Jeremiah Higgins. Welcome to the Jeremiah Show. I've got a special guest today. She is an old friend. I'm going to call her. Uh, hasn't been on the show for a couple years, but I follow her work, and uh, you should too if you're not already. Beth Hercheft. Hello. Uh, hi, Thank Beth. You. Welcome back. Yeah, uh, great. Yeah, well, I, I just think this is great. I was looking through your bio today on your website, and um, you sent me some really great fo- uh, photos from your your exhibit that's happening right now. Uh, the you know photos taken in the '90s, and I was reading your bio, and I uh, so interesting. Perhaps I forgot this, but you got your first break in the business by sneaking into the <laughs> art department at Capitol Records. I happen to know, and I want to ask if you know him. Um, a, a good friend of the show, he's on quite a bit, and he ran Capitol Records for for nine years. Um, Michael Frondelli, did you did you know him? Was he, was... I didn't know him personally. Okay, but you did yeah. recognize the name? Was yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think he was there in the nineties too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. This was Tommy Steele, the who was the head of the art department. Well, I think it's great. It says that you just ran like you you snuck in capital <laughs> records and uh, you know from for the listeners around the world capital records is that iconic you know down there in hollywood that iconic building that's round with a kind of crooked isn't it and it's got a yeah it was uh it was designed to look like a platter of of 45s oh is that what it is i never knew that yeah so yeah. I, yeah so how do you sneak into the art department <laughs> or how do you sneak into capitol records first of all and then um this is just great that you read you ran into who you wanted to run into pretty much right um t- tell me about that you had a portfolio tell me about I that story very newbie portfolio but um uh and none of this could happen now you know since yeah. everything going to be scanned and you're just not going to make it in but um there's other ways but uh i went in you know you look like you belong that's kind of takes you pretty far right yeah you just have that confidence right you swagger in like i'm i'm supposed to be here yeah Yeah, even (laughs) if you're terrified (laughs) and so uh went up to that department and my my logic was that it was it's a round building so i stood a higher chance of running into him <laughs> it ended up being true yeah <laughs> and i like got out of the elevator and i literally ran into him and so you know he was a little ticked off and i was kind of scared but he looked at it and then he kind of 
put his hands on my shoulders and said, where have you been? Which was oh. like, <gasps> so that was that was really good. <laughs> Did you say I've been running around in circles <laughs> until I bumped into you? <laughs> nonchalantly walking (laughs) yeah so wait a minute so you you literally as you say run into them does your does your portfolio open or like how do or do you just say i'm going for it you're like on adrenaline and and scared and you just said take a look at this how did that happen where he looked at your work show you this um i think at the time he like knew my cousin from a long time ago who was a graphic designer Mm. but but that was just about it for connections, you know, and uh, and you could tell he was like really not happy about it. But it was like a super small portfolio. I mean, I hadn't done anything yet, yeah. you know, so it was like regular street portraits and pictures like that. Pictures from clubs, you know, music clubs. And so that's yeah. not. Why did you choose Capitol Records and why do you think? your photography at that time fit because obviously he he was impressed and he said where have you been you know why did it fit the artists of that time the capital records of that time because it's distinctive right their music the artists that they choose what they do right. is just really right um because his design and art direction was so great mm-hmm. you know he, he it was more like wanting to dovetail with with him and them uh, rather than like the roster of artists, you know, just mm-hmm. like back a while ago, like you knew a blue note cover when you went into the record store, you knew a verve cover when you went into the record store an impulse cover when you went into the record store. So, so, you know, I kind of knew his thing. Well, you got your first album cover. Uh-huh. Capital. You photographed the rapper Schoolie D. Yes, that was terrible. <laughs> that <laughs> was what? Terrifying. It's, it's terrifying. terrifying. They give you instructions on what to do if you hear gunfire. <laughs> oh my God! Really? As you're shoot, as you're as you're shooting, you're worried about shots being fired. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So, but well, he hey, that's like a really great, super nice guy. Mm. But he had some enemies. That was probably at the time when there was the the real heavy West yeah. Coast, East Coast rap. Uh, right. Battle. And he was the original gangster rappers. And it's like, okay, so this is my first job. <laughs> I'm I'm nervous enough. <laughs> right. You don't need to worry about the gunshots. <laughs> well, now Beth's clients include Warner Brothers Studios, Sony Music, Interscope, Billboard. I mean, the list is really long. I'm, I just picked out some of the, the big names that popped to me. And you want, were a photographer once upon a time, Luke Restaurant, which is yeah. how we met. And Beth, yeah. I don't know if you ever heard those episodes, but we did a, and I want to encourage the listeners to go back. It's actually the number one, number two, most listened to podcast. Because what we did was uh, the famous Luke Restaurant here in New York. I mean, excuse me, in L.A., closed i think it was after 19 years right before covid right around that time mm-hmm. suzanne going the you know celebrity chef and her partner caroline stein who are on the show quite a bit still um they closed their beloved luke and mm-hmm. restaurant and everybody you know around the world i think mourned a little bit because it was a real um you know it was a real destination 
mm-hmm. and, and a great place to pop in and feel feel comfortable and good you know mingling with movie stars and rock stars but that didn't matter and the na- you're, you're with the neighborhood and and every the, suzanne right and you what did you, uh, you did so so then again we had this we did this podcast it was called uh, a radio show it's called uh, a love letter to luke and yeah. it was seven stories and beth you were one of those stories yep so yeah how you met. i you know that place was so great because it managed to uh sometimes places with great food don't feel necessarily so welcoming or chill you know and this managed to do both which was a real hat trick how, what i mean in your opinion why was how do they do that for you i mean everybody has a different experience but for you you what what did you love how did you feel well that? i think matt the manager helped set the tone matt duggan and- yeah, Matt Duggan, who I I hear you uh, you did a podcast w- with recently, right? I yeah, he's well, actually him. He's going to come on and talk about his new summer cocktails. Caroline was uh, coming on this week uh, on Monday, and she unfortunately got ill. So, Caroline, I hope you're feeling better. But yeah, well, they're they're on off and on. You know, they were both Caroline and Suzanne were on for the Hollywood Bowl. Um, oh you know, yeah, the summer concert series, the Philharmonic. But no, Matt's uh, scheduled coming up here in a couple of weeks, I think, or a week, a couple of days. Cool. <laughs> I forget. Cool. He's a Hollywood Bowl. Are they still do, uh, working with the Hollywood Bowl? They are. And they actually, uh, under Luke and S- Suzanne going, the chef, uh, apparently there's some menu items that were from Luke restaurant. So you can still get, you can still get some stuff up good. there. Yeah, that's a great place. Well, let's talk about you a little bit. Um, this is also interesting, I thought. Because I'm asking this next question, because some of my favorite photographers learn their craft completely on their own, and you were also self-taught. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, with photography, especially with a camera, is that the way? Like, you know, what are some of the things that you learned being self-taught that make your photographs distinctly mm-hmm. you? And would you have learned those things if you had been taught somewhere? That is a great question. Um, I it it basically started more as a financial thing, but um, but I think there is a difference. It depends. It might be different now, but I think certain schools have a look, and and uh, and that's why people go to the schools. And it's a great look, but you can tend to have a similar look to the to the other students, you know. So I think that that is one benefit of being self-taught yeah. is you just kind of you end up bumping into things more. But ultimately, you know, <clears throat> there may be something that's a little bit different that way. And when you say you end up bumping into things, you literally mean that when you got your first job. <laughs> you <bumped> yeah. it. <laughs> Sorry, I had to bring it yeah. all the way for yeah. full circle. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I was once upon a time, I wanted to be an artist and then I took art in high school or college and it ruined it for me. It was uh, mm-hmm. same. I went to USC film school. I wanted to be a, mm-hmm. uh, actually a producer and the, it was all theory, you know, and I mean, in the first couple of years. And I just wonder, you know, same with photography. Sometimes 
just being self-taught or just kind of figuring it out on your own, you create your own style, your own view, yeah, right? Um, it's, it's more stressful in the short term, but I agree with you. I have a friend who um, also was self-taught and then checked his uh good job to go to art school and then never took another picture after he graduated. Mm. It was, it was that kind of thing. Theory, 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 critique, critique, critique. I mean, I love a good critique. I mean, you you can always better yourself if you don't want, if you don't want to critique, you're not really going to move very far in your work. Right. But. Well, in Beth's world, what comes first? The eye or the lens? The eye. Okay. Good answer. Most definitely. Yeah. And explain that a little bit. Well, if it was the lens, everyone who got that lens would take great photos, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just thinking like, I, you know, I just shoot. Right. Sometimes, but... Then I see photo photos, you know, my sister is a great photographer. Some my my mother's a great photographer. They're professional photographers. And I look at it and I say, I didn't see that. Uh-huh. Um, I just shot, you know, and so I'm you know, it makes sense, of course, that the eye comes before. But do do me another favor, just keep playing the game with me if you wouldn't mind. Okay. Put these in order of importance from your perspective, for you, like how you operate as an artist or how you approach a, you approach a subject. Okay. So put them in order for me, your heart, your empathy, your eyes, your sense of awareness and space and your camera. I mean, Mm. I would say, when you say I, Mm -hmm. I would I think of I as sense of awareness and space. Okay. Okay. So I would say that that comes first and then uh, empathy, uh, heart and lens. Okay. So by lens, do you just, is that shorthand for just your camera? Your cam- okay. Then in that case, it really depends whether you're shooting film or digital. It's a pretty profound difference between the two, and I use both. Okay. Don't know if that helps. Yeah, I just I'm I'm just trying to get to know you know how because I think I was just thinking about you know when I look at your f- photos, which we're going to show here in a moment. Uh, if you if you can check it out on YouTube channel, um, it feels like there's a little bit of you maybe in there that you that you get you see something and you captured it and then you present it um so i feel like there's and a lot of the photographs that i'm we're going to show i feel like there was heart there and there was um maybe some empathy for some of the for instance <laughs> the the shot of um i'm gonna pull it up so i get the title right um it was the fi- uh, uh, Pan Pacific Fire, mm. right? And when I show, well, I'm just going to show it right now, if you don't mind. Do you uh, remember the Pan Pacific Theater? I no, I don't. So I don't it know was the story. A gorgeous deco building, um, 
kind of near Gardner and Beverly Boulevard, which can burn down under slightly mysterious circumstances. What do you think they were? Or do, what, what are those? Well, it might have been. I mean, it had fallen into disrepair. I think the city didn't love it. Mm-hmm. I, I will send you a picture of it if you want to include it, because it was a pretty regal building, deco building. Yeah. So, like, uh, I'm looking at the, if I, we would describe, or uh, would you mind, Beth, describing the photo a little bit, what you what you saw here and captured? Sure. Um, I was actually walking around in the neighborhood, had my camera, not surprising, and saw the smoke and just walked towards the smoke. And it was, you know, just kind of that, um, I don't know, I'm. The the good thing about my photos at the time was there was less thinking, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Um, Interesting. And uh, more of a conduit that was a little more direct, you know. I think as you learn any craft more, it you kind of lose a little of that, mm-hmm. you know, or you have to try to get it back in a different way. Yeah. But this was just shooting what I see, but not shooting like rapid fire. Like, I don't know, you know, you just sort of know more instinctively than, than thinking about it. Well, what I, what I love about it, I can see what you're saying. You've got a, I'll describe a little bit. Look, uh, a young woman in a leather jacket, motorcycle Mm -hmm. jacket, ripped jeans, you know, looks like maybe she was at a concert. She's looking one way, but she looks concerned. She's looking off to the right of the photo there's a gentleman behind her probably not related or together in a what i call a wife beater and he's watching the smoke uh-huh. <laughs> then there is a crowd behind the police line you know and, and they're all looking in different directions almost chaotic but not panicked right there's a, a gentleman that looks like he's tying his shoe and so he's bending over him. Uh, uh-huh. and then and then sort of like right in the lens so that it's almost um uh, blurred a little bit, like there's motion, like this this guy's moving. So obviously he's moving to get out of the way or moving away, and uh, looks concerned. You know, there are you know lights up, and it's just a great one of those photographs that you can study and see something different. The longer you study it, which is really great, photography does that for you. I think. You know what's um, cool is. Uh... You know, this is from film. So, of course, the film had to get digitally scanned. And uh, the person that I found to do the scanning sent me a message afterwards and said, I'm in that photo. Oh, wow. He is in that photo. Completely random, right? Wow. Very random. Yeah. Yeah. One of the little people there, you know, looking off to the side. Yeah. Yeah, that is crazy. Um, you mentioned just a moment ago that uh, there's more thought that goes into the photos now. Do you think that's than than maybe in the originally when you first started out as a young photographer? Do you think that's because maybe now there you have a big reputation? Um, you're very well known. You you've you work for big you know, film companies, record companies, celebrities, and and not. But maybe there's more pressure there? Or is it just that you just need to reinvent yourself now at different stages? 
Um, yeah, I don't think it's a pressure thing, you not know, like regarding reputation. Yeah. Huh? Go ahead. That's exactly what I was saying. Yeah. I don't think it's that, but I think that um, it can be a combination of, well, it's probably several things, but a combination of as you learn more, sometimes your thinking can get a little bit moved to the forefront, you know, and, um, and also at the time, you know, I was just more of a raw nerve as a person, mm. you know, mm. and so it's kind of a little bit of a cliche, you know, the artist who's kind of going through stuff, but I think there's some truth to it or can be. Um, and then lastly, I would say, and this might be slightly different, there is such a hyper awareness of photography and being photographed now that yeah. it is almost impossible to get a picture like that. That's so you true. Know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And so I guess there's something to add to the list that I didn't have for that earlier list when I asked you to put everything in order as a photographer. However, mm. But thinking was what you mentioned. You're, you, you think, and, um, that so thinking becomes part of the photograph too in a way right it becomes yeah your, your mind your mind and how you see it and think about it and that's interesting well right. you said and, yeah go ahead i'm sorry oh and you know uh it's funny you know looking at those 90s photos and it was nice to go through those notebooks and sort of rediscover that work um you know there's pictures that just wouldn't happen today hey people in the supermarket would you pose for this photo no no <laughs> not gonna happen you yeah know? i'm gonna show that photo in a moment here yeah yeah or, you don't think that would happen now that, that with the way everybody wants to be photographed it you, you wouldn't get that authentic um almost a no. little bit those guys are almost a little bit shy and sheepish right like yeah, but they're Almost not like suspicious. They yeah, no, no, but they got a camera turned on them and they're um, flattered and a little right. shot, right? Right. And now that. it's now it's a little bit more like either suspicion or right. it's either what's it's always what's this for? And it's hard because what it's for is it's it's my daily walking meditation. I mean, that's what it's for. You know, I'm not going to be making a million dollars off of this yeah. photo you know where's my photo release and my rights and my license yeah yeah exactly <laughs> interesting and that's, all that's right. a thing wait real quick yeah all those album covers at the time probably shouldn't say this was just like not necessarily some big contract it's like don't be a jerk i won't be a jerk the end you know yeah so that's kind of a social contract that's that's Change. gone yeah yeah social understanding that's right right well uh my special guest today beth Hersoft. uh she's got beth Hersoft photography i love this you, on your website shot with cameras um vent there's a vintage show so i'm gonna give you the information out here at shaky alibi did you choose the name of that i love the name of shaky alibi no that's the place <laughs> i love it um so you've got an exhibit there with a selection of your vintage 90s 
images taken in Los Angeles. Again, it's a shaky alibi. It's running through um, July. It's actually, right? Well, actually, it's going to be mid to late July now, yeah. which is good. Well, let me tell you where shaky alibi is. It's on 7401 Beverly Boulevard in L.A. Um, yeah, show runs through mid-July. So uh, these are your words, but I'm going to I'm going to steal them. Grab your fanny pack. Start up the DeLorean. <laughs> get in that DeLorean time machine with Michael J. Fox and head out to see what L.A. was like in the before times. Beth. Herzoft is my special guest. Go to her website to see some of the photos that we're talking about today on the show. H-E-R-Z-C-O dot com. dot com. And we'll be right back. she could remember her whole life and she met a lot of other children who were in the same fight as her. Alex came up with the idea to have a lemonade stand when she was in the hospital. Liz said, Alex, what do you want to buy with, with this money? And she said, oh, I don't want to keep it. I want to give it to the doctors so they can come up with new treatments. I am Shadow Stevens. While I'm doing this and that and the other thing at the very same time, I'm having a great time on The Jeremiah Show, the greatest show in the history of the world. For the love of God, subscribe. No, seriously, subscribe. Hi, it's Suzanne Gowen from L.A. restaurants Luke, AOC, and Tavern, as well as the Hollywood Bowl. And you are listening to The Jeremiah Show. I hope you'll check out our event, L.A. Loves Alex's Lemonade, and join the cause. Hey, everybody, it's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack telling you, asking you to watch the show Sprung on Freebie, Amazon's new free channel. I promise you it's funny, it's got heart, and my shoulder appears in episode three. Welcome, Los Angeles. The Jeremiah Show is now on Radio Candy Radio. Discover a world of emotions, your digital radio. The Jeremiah Show airs 10 p.m. Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. RadioCandyRadio.com. 
Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show. My special guest is a friend of the show uh, and an amazing photographer. We're actually, she has an exhibit right now that I really want you to go check out if you're in Los Angeles. It's at Shaky Alibi. And uh, it's an exhibit of her photographs from the 90s, excuse me, vintage Los Angeles. And and it's really, uh, go to the YouTube channel, check this one out. Um, to see best photos but you can also see her photos again in person at shaky alibi it's on 7401 beverly boulevard in los angeles it runs through july you can also go to her website h-e-r-z-c-o which is herzco.com welcome back beth um so we're going to get in and show your photos here in a moment uh but you have said i wanted to quote you here my focus is on creating authentic incisive photographs and i'm inspired by the challenge of quietly helping shape the persona people present to the world it's a fascinating initiative i think uh, as a photographer and and could you please explain your philosophy uh there's a there's a big there's a continuum between uh photographers who have a concept and they're illustrating that concept with the person they're photographing, which is totally valid, totally great. Uh, I, um, Richard Avedon, people like that. Mm-hmm. I kind of like to meet people in the middle. You know, we're both, everyone's participating in a photo. You're the photographer's participating. If the person being photographed isn't participating you're kind of not getting a complete picture. So it's really trying to meet them in the middle. What makes them unique, right. you know, rather than I have this concept uh, and just applying a, a person to it. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Um, okay. Well, so what do you think? What is your opinion what what makes a great photographer i know you trust is a big thing that you talk about and how do you when you just meet somebody how do you get that trust and get the best out of of them and the photo i'd say that is the one thing you cannot sort of you you that you get or you don't get get. yeah you you get or you don't get if you're able to get it by scheming (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're a con artist <laughs> but, uh, well the funny thing though is uh actually a lot of my favorite photographers did not care what the subjects thought and it made their images stronger almost but, just yeah. capturing them how they how they were how they are yeah 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 well, of course, I told you offline here, we added a photograph and uh, now I can't figure out how to how to show them. Um, I'm going to, Beth, take a break real quick here okay. and get my uh, Dr. D because he is a doctor of everything. He's going to fix this for us so I can show your photos. Okay. And we will be right back. Beth Herzoff Photography, go to H-E-R-Z-C-O.com, Herzco.com and hit uh, the exhibit if you're in Los Angeles. Don't miss it. It only is available till mid-july it's 90s vintage los angeles images shot by the 
famous Beth Herzoft, photographer. We'll be right back. several months that something wasn't right with her but to hear that she had neuroblastoma which can be curable but it can also be very deadly was like your worst fear has has happened and it's really hard to comprehend things we learned from alex's diagnosis and sickness was to make the most of every day to enjoy every day and just to live the best life that you can I thought it was adorable that she would think she was going to have a lemonade stand and raise enough money to really make an impact uh, for other kids. And it was winter and we lived in Connecticut, but she kept asking us for months after she got out of the hospital about setting up a lemonade stand. It took a while before we realized that what she was doing was making a difference. Her first lemonade stand, she raised $2,000. When we moved down to Philadelphia, Alex started bringing up the idea of setting up another lemonade stand. She raised $12,000 in one day. Next year, $18,000 she raised in one day in the pouring rain. And then an amazing thing started happening was we started getting letters from people that read about her or saw her on TV. And the letters would say, Alex, we saw what you were doing and we wanted to help you. So here's our, our, our check from money that we raised. It started with Alex but then it became so much more. It's like a hub and spoke. You know, she was the hub and all these spokes started doing things. She lived eight and a half years, but she packed a lot of living into eight and a half years. Welcome, Somerset, England. The Jeremiah Show is now on Core Radio. Keep on rocking to the core. Core Radio, The Jeremiah Show, airs at 10 p.m. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. CoreRadio.rocks. Good day, my friends. I'm Billy Mandarino, the Nowist. Do you find yourself taking life too seriously? Are you childlike or light at heart during your daily activity? The brilliant sage Rumi once stated, sell your cleverness and purchase bewilderment. I know the world can feel like a very serious place sometimes. However, you need to build fun, joy, and excitement into your day. In my hit book, The Nowist, you will learn how to live in childlike bewilderment and remember what it feels like to live in pure and innocent states of being. After all, we are human beings, not human doings. How often do you catch yourself in the doing mode of living? To learn more, go to BillyMandarino.com. Wishing you all the blessed.
And we're back with The Jeremiah Show. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show. Beth Hersoft is my special guest today, my friend, an incredible photographer. She's got a 90s vintage uh, exhibition, exhibit at uh, Shaky Alibi down in Los Angeles. It's on 7401 Beverly, and it's only there till mid-July, so go check it out. We're going to show you, though, uh, a sneak peek of some of the things you might see there with Beth here. Just to wrap this up, Beth. I'm going to try to share my screen again. I'm, I'm so technical now. Here we go. So let's start with uh, a photo that you had me add that you were, that you just loved. And it's uh, a talent show. Right. It doesn't, what kind of talent show? There's penguins. I'm going to describe it for listeners. <laughs> penguins, you know, cut out penguins on the back, curtains, butterflies. And normally when I think of talent shows, I think of kids. But this woman is not a kid. Right. But your woman, what, what's happening here? Um, it was a talent show for something called the Eastern Star, which was kind of the female version of the Masons, if you've mm -hmm. heard of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, just kind of a social club, you know, like a ladies social club in the yeah. 90s. And, um, and I just, I really like how pared down it is. And um, her... She's kind of got a little bit of a case of the nerves, yeah. you know. Uh, looking everyone, down at the stage. Yeah. And at the audience. Everyone was in gowns. It just kind of like uh, so simple. That's what I like, yeah. you know, zero real special effects, you know. How did you find yourself in this social club Take and, and this subject? At Actually, my mom was a member of the Eastern Star, mm. which was just this little unusual social organization. And so I just kind of went along and took pictures. And here's one of my favorites that really stuck uh -huh. out to me. One of the things I maybe you noticed that I showed them with your photos here, uh, and I'm going to describe this one as well, is what I love, like there in the fire. Mm -hmm. photo that we talked about earlier there's a gentleman really close to your lens moving quickly so he's almost blurred but mm -hmm. everybody else is in focus now, on this photo you've got a, the back of somebody mm -hmm. uh up up close and he's walking towards a gentleman who's dressed very sharply and it looks a little ghettoish. so i know it's it's called the title's amazing i love the title sharp dressed man in silver lake and this guy's wearing a tie, but he looks like he's angry. I don't, I don't know what's going on here. You know, it's funny when I was going through my film, since I hadn't looked at it in a long time and I was going through the proof sheets, 
I never had noticed that image before. That image had not jumped out to me before. So, which is a, a good reason to not discard too many things yeah, at the yeah. time, because sometimes things become more interesting later, you know? Right, right. With context. But uh, have you, did you ever go to the tropical bakery, the Cuban bakery in Silver Lake back in the day? I don't think so. Anyway, this I was looking at the street. I realized that's where it was. So he's probably holding a bakery bag. And he looks like he's talking to himself. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't it, look like the kind of guy that would in this the way he's dressed that would be talking. To yeah, it it kind of has a movie still feel. It does for sure. Yeah. Hey, I love this one. Uh, two women laughing. Something something funny happened, but. Were they shy because you popped in with a camera or were you capturing something that they were reacting to off camera? That is one of my favorites. And that was at the Gaslight, which was a music club um, behind the Ivar Theater. If you'd ever heard of the Ivar Theater. Um, I have a whole other photo series of the Ivar Theater, which was a strip club at that time. One of the last L.A., you know places like that and so this music club was behind it and i really don't remember what they're laughing at might have been me but i just like how authentic it is they yeah. yeah there's a good joke going on there something that really made them laugh yeah um uh, here's the photo i'm going to show real quickly we're running out of time of the two gentlemen this was sears you said that two yeah sears, sears employees um, and we talked about this but before we left mysterious women that's what this one's titled on the on this on the photo um and these women in contrast to the other two women in the first photo these women are very serious they they're not smiling they're filing past you you remember what was happening here i think it might have possibly been a tourist kind of spot but i actually would need to go find i didn't have a chance to find that proof sheet um, to, to look at what was on either side of it, because that's how you can tell is, is looking at the adjacent pictures, you know. Well, uh, these are great photos. Check them out on YouTube. Can they find these on your website, Beth? Yes. Or do they have to go uh, to the show? Yeah. Yeah, they can uh, find actually an expanded selection on the website uh, under film photography since they're shot with film. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me take one quick breaks if you could stay with us for one second longer then i want you to tell everybody if you you know about the give them the details about the exhibit and we've got to say goodbye unfortunately um but i want to come down and see you in person i hope you're are you at the show ever beth yes it's actually close by to to uh to me and um i would love to okay it's at the shaky alibi 7401 beverly boulevard beth Hershoft is our uh, is our special guest today. We're um, finishing up, unfortunately, and we will be right back and we'll give out a little more information here. We'll be right back.
check out Jeremiah's top 10 new artist picks on Radio India Alliance each week. The Radio India Alliance is a chart service that allows indie recording artists an opportunity to have chart placements. We don't charge. We support RadioIndiaAlliance.com. Hey, it's Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of The Jeremiah Show. So listen. Yeah, baby. Set the whole thing on fire I was a king standing alone Looking back to see how far you've flown I ain't grown and I ain't changed at all Yeah, honey You could say I'm afraid Afraid my voice don't even sound the same there's some pitch I can't even hear it all Push my voice now to hear it stall I'm choking on every word Yeah, maybe We could find a place to stretch our wings Rest upon cliffs overlooking seams Seems we don't write and we don't fall between Oh, we just fall in the game Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show. I'm with a uh, famous photographer, great photographer. Um, I hope I'm okay giving you that title, Beth, because that's uh, what you are. <laughs> Beth Hersofton, and uh, she's here with me this hour showing her photos for on her YouTube channel, talking about the stories behind them. Uh, and you've got an exhibit on the 90s. The 90s are hot again. Tell me about the 90s. What? How did this exhibit come together? Um, actually, it's kind of my regular uh, coffee and Belgian waffle place, which is great is great grandmother's recipe uh and i was offered a show since uh they usually work with artists who they know there and um i just decided it would be nice to kind of take a look back at the 90s images and and at images shot on film rather than digital mm-hmm. so and because you don't realize how quickly los angeles changes because, you know, 20 or 30 years is a long time, but not really so long for like the streets to just completely change. So and about people. the streets. Yeah. And the people, the streets and the people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you mentioned throughout this interview, the different places that have either burned down or been, you know, famous iconic mm-hmm. spots on the streets of L.A. Um, a lot of them have been captured in films. A lot of them have been captured on your film and your camera through your eyes. And you really got a great perspective. Uh, these are, you, you want to see these for sure. So again, I'm going to give you out Beth's website. If you can't make it to LA, H-E-R-Z-C-O, Hersco.com. And uh, there's a lot of stuff. You're going to go, you're going to go down the rabbit hole. I, I warn you, because there are so many different eras and different 
people, celebrities, musicians. Uh, the 90s is so great, Beth. So great to see you again. Thank you, Jeremiah. I really had fun speaking with you. Uh, me as well. Let's keep. Let's make it a habit, shall we? Please. <laughs> okay. And I'd be happy to take you to the show in person. Okay, I'm going to take you up on that because I want to okay. come down in person and see it. So I'll I'll reach out to you offline. Um, cool. All right, Beth. Okay. All right. Thanks. Have a great day, everybody out there. Have a great day. Go to the Beth's website, uh, hersco.com, H-E-R-Z-C-O.com, and uh, say hi to Beth. For me when you when you see the exhibit the 90s vintage la streets la people communicate but listen more and evolve everybody have a great day This is comedian Maz Jobrani, and you are listening to The Jeremiah Show. Listen, man. Did you like our soundtrack? Find all of our soundtracks on Spotify. The Jeremiah Show. Look for the black label. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The Jeremiah Show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. Communicate, listen more, and evolve. My name's Danny Trejo. Jeremiah, your loved homes. I love you. I love you. After Alex died, she had just raised a million dollars. That was her goal. She had reached it and she passed away. Uh, I honestly thought the lemonade stand would go away. 
but people said, we're gonna keep doing this in honor of Alex. We're gonna continue what Alex started. So that planted a seed in our minds that maybe this was something that could continue. So many people reached out and said, we want you to continue this. And so Liz and I realized, you know what? We have to continue what Alex started because we have an opportunity to help a lot of kids. And at the end of the day, I think that was her plan. She knew that she could help a lot of kids. She knew that what she was doing wasn't gonna help her. I thought that this is particularly fascinating. The torch was handed by a child uh, and it was reversed. It was handed by a child to her parents who, uh, who took her vision. So it's a vision of a child that we're all trying to achieve here. A child who suffered and decided that this, is, this should not be the end of it. She didn't want to stop that. When I was one, I had a big monster. And now I don't. I had a brain tumor. Now I feel better. It has been seven years since cancer. I don't have it anymore. Well, Alex was in treatment for a long time, basically as long as she could remember her whole life. And she met a lot of other children who were in the same fight as her. Alex came up with the idea to have a lemonade stand when she was in the hospital. Liz said, Alex, what do you want to buy with, with this money? And she said, oh, I don't want to keep it. I want to give it to the doctors so they can come up with new treatments. Alex was diagnosed just two days before her first birthday. You know, we had sensed for several months that something wasn't right with her, but to hear that she had neuroblastoma, which can be curable, but it can also be very deadly, was like your worst fear has, has happened, and it's really hard to comprehend. Things we learned from Alex's diagnosis and sickness was to make the most of every day, to enjoy every day, and just to live the best life that you can. I thought it was adorable that she would think she was gonna have a lemonade stand and raise enough money to really make an impact uh, for other kids. And it was winter and we lived in Connecticut, but she kept asking us for months after she got out of the hospital about setting up a lemonade stand. It took a while before we realized that what she was doing was making a difference. Her first lemonade stand, she raised $2,000. When we moved down to Philadelphia, Alex started bringing up the idea of setting up another lemonade stand. She raised $12,000 in one day. Next year, $18,000 she raised in one day in the pouring rain. And then an amazing thing started happening was we started getting letters from people that read about her or saw her on TV. And the letters would say, Alex, we saw what you were doing and we wanted to help you. So here's our, our, our check from money that we raised. It started with Alex but then it became so much more. It's like a hub and spoke. You know, she was the hub and all these spokes started doing things. She lived eight and a half years, but she packed a lot of living into eight and a half years. After Alex died, she had just raised a million dollars. That was her goal. She had reached it and she passed away. Uh, I honestly thought the lemonade stand would go away but people said, we're gonna keep doing this in honor of Alex. We're gonna continue what Alex started. So that planted a seed in our minds that maybe this was something that could continue. So many people reached out and said, 
we want you to continue this. And so Liz and I realized, you know what, we have to continue what Alex started because we have an opportunity to help a lot of kids. And at the end of the day, I think that was her plan. She knew that she could help a lot of kids. She knew that what she was doing wasn't going to help her. I thought that this was particularly fascinating. The torch was handed by a child, uh, and it was reversed. It was handed by a child to her parents who, uh, who took her vision. So it's a vision of a child that we're all trying to achieve here. A child who suffered and decided that this, is, this should not be the end of it. She didn't want to stop there. Alex's initial vision has carried out in helping literally thousands of, of researchers in this country uh, be able to uh, continue to perform cutting-edge research. I've been in this business uh, for over 30 years, and this is, in my opinion, the worst uh, funding climate we've ever experienced. There has been a progressive decrease in the amount of money available to research childhood cancers. That's where Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation steps in. We are funding the best research to help kids with cancer that exists. We think that's probably our most important job is making sure we're funding the right projects. We have a very developed grant selection process where people apply to us. Um, we have scientists review these projects and basically at the end of the day we fund the ones that that score the best during this review process because we want to help the most kids with cancer that we can and we want to help them as quick as we can because every year that it that it takes us more kids are going to die waiting for that new treatment it's a tough thing to be, to be a childhood cancer researcher when there's not a lot of money there but you're giving your life to a cause where you could be doing something else where you're making more money but you have a dedication to these kids, and so we want to be there for those researchers. I was fortunate enough to be honored with an Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation Young Investigator Award. It provided me two years of protected time to really get my project off the ground, to make further findings in my field, and also start to publish um, what are now seminal papers in the field as well. We would like to find targeted treatments that are less toxic to the brain, less toxic to the child, and that do not involve the skill of a surgeon. And so without funding such as Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation, um, I don't think investigators like myself could really do the work that we do. Certainly, Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation has been one of the most successful foundations I know of. They've been enormously successful and they have had a tremendous impact throughout the country and even beyond. We're extremely fortunate. I mean, I feel so lucky. I feel like the luckiest mom in the world. Um, to have had Alex as my daughter, but to be able to continue to carry on something so meaningful that she started that's having such an impact is a gift, and I appreciate it every day. We're happy to be coming to work because we know that we're helping kids, and we're gonna be even happier um, on the day that we don't have to come to work because we've gotten cures for all the kids. And I see that day coming. I see that day coming when, when, when we have a cure for all the kids, they won't have lifelong side effects from the treatment. I see that day on the horizon.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.